Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing? I love these Sundays where I get to come in right away and bring good news. So, awesome. Things happened this week. Uh, our dear friend and uh, children's pastor, Dominique, had her baby this week. Yes. Baby Milo is here. Mommy and baby are healthy and happy. Uh, big sister and daddy are doing good. So we're excited to, for them today. So uh, be on the lookout for probably some meal trains coming your way to help love on them a little bit. Um, but so exciting, right? Yes. Uh, in that, we're also thankful that our uh, kids get to be in the service today because uh, was he came a little early. He was uh, he had a had a plan that. I think Dominique was actually very okay with, um, but uh, he came a little earlier, so, uh, but she had planned to be here for a couple more weeks, so we, uh, today, the kids are, the bigger kids are with us today, we're thankful that our nursery workers are able to love on the littles upstairs as well, but wow, so cool, great news, right? All right, Ben is handing out some stuff to you, he is not going rogue, I asked him to do it, so don't be worried, it's good, it's not, it's not a paraphernalia, it's not agenda. <laughs> it is the thir- first three pages of Genesis. Well, that's where we are for the next three weeks, y'all. And I know you're probably already thinking, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I've got questions, right? What in the world? You guys are going there. Yes, we are. And maybe you already are asking or thinking, like, is Genesis 1 this place, this blueprint for all of creation that it should, like, Tell science to take a seat and do what it needs to do, right? Is this a story of sin? Is, this a, uh, is, is Genesis literal or poetic? Or maybe like, why are snakes talking? Or where are the dinosaurs, right? These are the questions. These are the questions. But what I do believe we will find uh, this week and the next couple, that we will find that it's God's story of love, rescue, and redemption, So for the next three weeks, we're going to explore the significance of this great story that has been debated and also requires both faith and reason to understand, but also to give a picture of who God is and what is God's relationship with both creation and all of humanity. I believe we will peer behind the curtain of this mystery of the beginning of all things and find that we, what we were actually looking for even if it's not the questions we thought we should ask. So what we're going to do for the next three weeks uh, in the beginning of this series is enter into this space of communal prayer. We love to do this here. I know you do. You notice that we have prayers on the screen and we read them together. We're going to do that again. Um, but the idea of this is to invite the Lord into our hearts and to reveal himself to us in this space. So if you don't mind uh, standing one more time to get us together, and this is very short, uh, but we're going to pray this prayer together here on the screen. If you read it loud, that's great. We fill the room. Lord, lead us to embrace your story of love, rescue, and redemption for all our beloved creation. Open our hearts to feel your everlasting loving pursuit to lead us where heaven and earth align. We are your church, your people exploring the mystery of you found in the beginning of your word. Amen, Lord. Speak to us today. You may have a seat. 
So you may have heard, or you probably have, if you've been in uh, church communities or even Bible studies and such, you probably have run into many sermons or talks that reference Genesis 1. It's not uncommon to, for it to land within our sphere or to talk about this seven-day creation story. But today, as we dive into this first chapter, this first page, we will see in the beginning, and then we'll see it end with two thumbs up by God. That's where it is. That's where we are today. And to do that, to start us off, usually you've probably heard us reference the Bible Project a million times from this stage. Well, guess what? I'm just going to bring them in. And we're going to just enjoy this quick video here real quick. The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now the opening line of the whole Bible is, in the beginning God created the skies and the land. Now your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, and this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay. And then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land 
and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now over and over, God says what he created was good. But then after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so we're completed, the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. So God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse, and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about.
All right, y'all learned something? Nice. Save me from reading the whole chapter. So good. Love them. Just love their approach uh, to Scripture, just looking at it as, is, as it is. And uh, I felt like that was helpful for us this morning, just to kind of get a solid picture of Genesis. But I also want to be sensitive today. And I know there has been some space for debate um, about this uh, very specific first page. Um, whether it's f- uh, uh, a literal seven days, or is it more poetic, which allows more room for scientific discovery. And I also understand and have talked to folks and have heard stories about people who have wrestled with this very particular book, this very particular chapter, and have come to face crisis, um, trying to wrestle with what they're reading and maybe what they've been taught and told about Genesis 1. And it's come to a point where there's confusion. Like, could God really do this if we see our our wonderful scientists and the things we've learned from geologists and uh, from archaeology and has created some places where it feels like what we were reading into Genesis 1 doesn't line up and it's come to a place where it's been a crisis of faith. So I just want to say, if that's you here today, or maybe you have avoided this kind of uh, place because you just kind of don't want to struggle in that place, I am glad you're here. And I really believe and hope that this, this story, that this series we're going to walk through is going to be helpful for you, and you're going to find some hope in it. And I'm encouraged that the Holy Spirit will guide you. And I want to also encourage you, whether it's Genesis, Genesis or otherwise, to not avoid the harder topics in Scripture. I also want to encourage you to ask the hard questions, even if doubt is a possibility. A, I have two reasons why I'm very confident in saying that. Is A, I've walked that path. I asked questions, and it brought me to a dark night of the soul space where I wasn't sure this was real or true, but also I know so believe now and wholeheartedly that Jesus is real, is alive and living today, and is big enough for your questions. It was big enough for my questions. So I just want to encourage you in that space, especially as we walk through these chapters the next three weeks. And if you found yourself in that uh, challenging spot, let's just stop and pause and maybe ask the right questions and look at what God has for us in his scripture. All right, all right, that's been said. (laughs) Let's get the magnifying glass a a little bit here. Uh, A little context of the authorship of Genesis. Again, there's still a little bit of debate here, but um, many scholars do uh, have a solid understanding that Moses, or at least Moses describes somewhere in that space of time, uh, this is where this book, this first chapter, first three chapters was illustrated. Um, so it, it kind of comes along with the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. We have Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. These, these books were set up and they were called the Pentateuch, okay? The, this was kind of the backbone of the Hebrew scripture, which would later on be filled out by many of the prophets, the Psalms, Proverbs, all the things that we read in there in the Old Testament. And then later in the New Testament is pulling directly from all of these spaces. But before that was these first five. 
And they were illustrated and they were dictated by Moses or in his space. That's kind of the understanding. And so we have to look at that. We have to understand the authorship of this. And what are they trying to communicate? What, what is Moses or whoever wrote it trying to communicate? Well, we do know it's a very ancient, ancient language. It's an ancient space. It's a genre of, of literature that's really not uh, found anywhere near common history. So it's different. It sets, sets apart, but for some reason they felt it was important to set the foundations of what was going to be told of the nation of Israel's story from Abraham on to include the origins of everything. And uh, in that, it is more of an introduction maybe to faith, an introduction to God, than it is most anything else. So if we look at Genesis 1, the strange and wonderful creation story, there, there are some pretty amazing smart people who have tried to dive into uh, this, this first page and try to find answers for really, really big questions. And many, many theories have come from them. And man, I tell you, some of them are really, really interesting and very, very smart. And uh, just to kind of run through the, some of those, maybe you've heard some of these before, maybe you haven't, um, but just some of these are some of the kind of the more popular theories that have come from Genesis 1. And first one uh, is the gap or reconstruction theory. Okay, this is a very interesting one. So the idea of this theory in Genesis uh, 1 is that between verses 1 and 2, they believe there's something missing to the story. They believe there was actually some sort of a destruction. And their, their reasoning for this is Genesis 1 says that, the, that God created the earth and, and the skies, the heavens and earth. And then all of a sudden there's a the line two is that there's nothingness. And so their idea is that between these two, there was something that happened. And then the following six days are actually a recreation, a reconstruction of the world not a, an original creation. So this is this idea, okay, uh, that these six days are about a reconstruction. And a lot of that is attributed to uh, what we find in later scripture, in like Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Revelations, of this story of Lucifer and his angels and this fallen state in heaven. And so they, they attribute that story to being this little in the gap, and which, which caused, the, caused God to have to recreate Everything. So this is that theory. And then the next theory that finds a lot of traction, and even more so today, is this geological era theory. So this theory suggests that each of the six days is more of six eras versus a literal 24 hours. And the reason why they use it is the word yom that is used for day uh, in Genesis 1. Uh, this word is used later on in other scriptures uh, as more of a uh, less solid uh, identifiable 24-hour period. It actually has a lot of leeway used within it. So they're saying that the idea of this theory is that, wait a minute, maybe these six days were actually six thousand years or whatever, an undefined set of time, which has allowed for theories of evolution and things that we have found scientifically, uh, the age of the earth being old and, and all the dinosaurs and all those fun things. It kind of creates a space for that. And then there's probably what's lasted the most uh, in time and definitely find a lot of very, uh, or at least you find it really pushed heavily in a lot of conservative Christian circles, um, is the young earth seven-day literal theory, okay? Um, I'm presenting it still as a theory, and you'll see why here in just a minute, but 
The idea is that God literally built it this way, and this is how it is. All right? So these are some of the, and there's some others that are very interesting, but I just thought I'd present those to you because these are the things that we wrestle with or people, humanity has wrestled with and found a lot of confusion and a lot of trouble and a lot of pain um, in that. And I want to encourage you again, as I said earlier, to investigate these things. Um, I have provided for you some of the places I have learned from in the last couple of weeks, diving into Genesis 1. Uh, if you go to our Sunday page, I'll go down to the message. There are several links um, if you're part of a small group or a band, uh, there's a couple that are very, very lengthy, and there's some books. I highly encourage you, if, if, if you can find some space for that maybe this year, uh, to kind of dive in and investigate what is Genesis trying to say. And so I just wanted to kind of illustrate that, that these are some of those ideas and people bring to the table. And if you, they all might sound really good and sound very smart, but they all can't be true. Well, maybe there's truth in some of them, sure. But what if we looked at it this way? What if we looked at it this way? A, if I was an author of a book and somebody added chapters, it might not sound too good. You know, so there's some space there. We have to look at what the true authorship is trying to say here. To kind of like, to illustrate my point, if uh, this stool here, at some point, at some time, somebody got this thing and it came probably in a box and it had instructions. If it came from Ikea, it'd probably be very interesting instructions, but it came with instructions. There's an instruction manual to put this stool together. It has, inside the manual, has all the details it needs to put this stool together. It would tell me where to put the little knobs in the end, where the screws are, the specific screws and nuts that go to these specific spaces. This is the, the intent of this instruction book. But what if I went to this instruction book for this stool and I said, hey, uh, instruction book, how do I play piano? Well, that'd be a little bit of a problem because I'm be looking through the pages and I'm not really seeing the answer to that question. But wait a minute, if I, I look deep enough, like wait a minute, okay, well it does say at the end, like once the stool is complete, I can take this, uh, I, take, I can take this stool and I can put it right here beside the piano and I can spend the rest of my life investigating how does this connect to this. But what if I asked a piano teacher and I said, hey, how can I learn to play piano? Well, they're going to give me all the right answers. And they could also say you could sit on the stool while you do it. So it's not about what it actually can say and investigate. It is about what is it actually saying. It's about asking the right questions that match the purpose of the book. And I believe we can do that today, if you don't mind. So can Genesis 1 answer Things like whether there was an ice age or an asteroid hit this earth or whether dinosaurs, where, where do they and everything? How old is the earth? We can try to answer those questions, but is it asking the right questions? So we force it and we create these great theories. And again, there may be some truth in that. I'm not, not actually disclaiming any of them, but I just wanted to invite you into asking the right questions. Because this is an important book. This is not something that cast away. So I did a little homework this week. And I saw directly quoted Genesis 1 63 different times through 19 different books throughout Old and New Testament. This book is important. And each one of them was telling and attaching it to the story of God. And there just has to be something extremely valuable about this page 1. Something extremely valuable that they felt they needed to connect to this. Extremely valuable to the point where Moses or whoever illustrated this and brought this into 
life from oral tradition passed down and brought into this place, there is intention for this book. What is Genesis trying to tell us? And I believe, just as the authors of the other scriptures that attach to this, that it is not what we would think of as an origin story. And at least that term origin, as we see it today um, in our context, we hear that we probably think of like more scientific understanding. We think of like, okay, the origin, like literally how, when God said plant come from the ground, like what actually happens cellular level? We kind of look at, we kind of get into this deep space, this scientific space. And I just want to say that Genesis 1 is not the antithesis of scientific discovery. They're not battling each other in any possible way because that's not what Genesis 1 is trying to explain. And then actually there's room in that. There's room in that. There's actually beautiful room in that, that science, what we discover and God has given us, and we'll read in a little bit, God, this, this vocation that we're given as humans in this world to learn and grow and to take dominion in this place. We're doing the right thing. We're learning and growing. We're understanding. But when we, these things aren't battling each other. There's not something going against each other. They're not at odds. Actually, in fact, I mentioned earlier, I came to a place in my life where I was, I was, I was not believing in Christianity. But what was holding me back from taking a full dive into full atheist, atheism was science and understanding. I was, I was in medical science. I have a science degree. That was actually an anchor for me thinking, no, there's something, somebody did something on purpose here. So there's, there's the place I just want to invite you, and especially if you are a science person yourself, don't run from this and understand that what you do is important. You can be a Christian and be a scientist. You can still sit in these spaces. It's not what Genesis 1 is not battling against you. It's actually a beautiful place to investigate and learn God's story. It's just beautiful. So I believe Genesis 1 depicts God's story and identity and character of who God is, and it highlights his relationship with all of creation and humanity. The author presents it in this song form, this repetitive nature, and as our Friends of the Bible Project presented it as this repetitive way, is telling us something, it's communicating something. So let's, let's take a look, let's dive in. So we see in Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we're looking at Genesis 1 now. We're going to, ask, we're going to try to ask the right questions. So let's, what's the first question? Just right here in the opening, who's our main character? Anybody? God. That's right. God is our, God is our main character. Okay, already the author is telling us this story is about God. Well, who is this God? And I want to invite you into something here because this is going to attach to later books within Old and New Testament. We see God present in the beginning, God. We see the Spirit present, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then we see in verse 3, this invitation of this voice, the voice of God coming and creating and those of you who come to the story, who have been many times and know where I'm going, because John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
John, author's hearkening us back to Genesis 1, and he's inviting a new revelation here. This Jesus that he had been following, this Jesus who had died, this Jesus who had defeated death and rose again and ascended to heaven on the right hand of the Father, this Jesus, he's calling the Word, and he's attaching it to Genesis. So he's inviting the idea that Jesus is right there. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God. So who is this God? We see right here, we see God, the Spirit, we see Jesus, the Son, the voice. We have the Trinity present right here. So what is Genesis 1 author telling us? God. God, all of God is right here in the beginning. This is God's story. And so what is God doing? We automatically see uh, in this repetitive song way of speaking, this motion of creating from substance, He's giving substance purpose, and he's giving it order, okay? This is repetitive story telling us what God is doing. Over the next seven days, this idea of God, this main character, creating something and loving it so much and giving it purpose. You do this. This is what you do. This is why you're here. This is why you're important. This is why you matter. This is why you're connected to everything else, whether you're the, you're the night, you're the day, you're the moon, you're the stars, you're the animals, you're the plants, you're the trees. You have reason and you have purpose and you're connected to each other. We see this over and over. God just creating purpose and order. Given reason for that land, sea, and air as we watched the video, the, the first three days are setting up this environment, this place for the inhabitants to live and to rule. And in this repetitive pattern, he does something a little different. Does something a little different. And this really expands the story in verse 11. Let's look at it real quick here. He says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed, according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to to their kind. We have a creator that is not just painting a picture. We have a creator that is creating something that has the ability to reproduce, to make life, to life to be continued. Again, I mentioned this, this point of a painter, and I've seen some amazing, I'm sure you have too, some amazing paintings that look alive. And I believe it's, it's that way. It's absolutely, it's looking alive. This God is creating this beautiful, beautiful picture but all of a sudden, this, this creator guy is adding this extra piece, this animated piece that says, okay, you, you're not always going to look like you. That every seed has a thousand force in it. Every, every plant has the ability to spread and grow. We see blessing. We see love imparted into both order and purpose. And this is important because this blessing space, he says, and I will give you this to multiply. I will, I will give you this blessing to be fruitful. He gives the ability for life to create life. This God is unselfish. This God is in it for the long game. This God is not just creating this little perfect picture to hang on his wall. He's giving something interacting and life-giving. And it takes us into day five and six where he creates the birds and the fish. They're beautiful, loving us so much. And what does he do with us? 
<laughs> we see in Genesis 1:26. Something else is created. Humanity is given the exact same call to reproduce and to spread, but it's given something else. Here we see in 26 and 27, it says, that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Something new happened. It spends a little extra time on this very specific creature, this very specific people, this very specific inhabitant. And I want to point out here, there's the, the author of Genesis, again, is trying to communicate something, and it's very important that we need to hear and see. A, one, right here in the beginning, we see this equality of man and woman, created male and female equal. This word mankind that we read in scripture is translated as Adam. You may hear Adam, right? But this word Adam used, unless it's given in context to a very specific male, is actually referenced as all of humanity. And so we see this beautiful picture of man and woman equally given this vocation to take dominion to rule as God would rule. They're put hand in hand in this beautiful space to run and love all these other beautiful things he's created and loved. We are given, humanity is given this beautiful gift to rule like him, not as him, not as God, but to rule like him, to love, to care, to give, help the purpose of the tree, to help the, the order of the day. This is our goal. This is our vocation. This is our love. And, this is, and we have this ability to love like him. We have this ability to make a choice, to love and to take care of all creations. Humans are different. Humans are different. But he loves it all. He loves it all. Every bit of it is important, but humans are different. So what is Genesis telling us? Author is, tell, author is telling us that God's story is creating order and purpose from substance, partnering in creation with creation, and running the show together. It's about this relationship with creation, relationship with humanity, and humanity's relationship with creation. That caring for this creative space Caring for the land, the sea, the air, the animals, the fish, and the birds are important. It's our vocation, calling us to this space. And then he says in verse 31, he says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God takes a bow, and he calls it a day. Isn't that awesome? And then on the seventh day, we have to dip it a little bit of chapter two. I'm sorry for who's speaking next week, but... I didn't make the chapters, but day seven runs into uh, uh, chapter two. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, re on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had. God rested with the intent to rest. We haven't gotten to chapter two yet. 
We haven't gotten into anything broken or anything fallen, any mistakes, any sin. This idea, we don't see God get back up again until mess up. Again, we'll leave that to next week. I love to stay in this little, 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 little space of Genesis 1. But this was the intent, and I believe this is the intent of the author saying this, this is the picture of God. This is the story of God. This is the story of humanity's vocation within it. And before anything was broken, anything was done, this is what it was supposed to be. Now, this is a world you and I do not know. This is a world probably Moses, whoever authored, doesn't know. But it is a world that God knows. And the same main character that we see throughout this chapter is still alive and working today. And still loves his creation, loves order, loves purpose. And he loves that he gave his favorite creation the ability to choose and love creation and be connected to it. So Genesis 1 it's God's story. It's not anything else. It's God's story. So what are the questions we can ask Genesis now? What are those questions? Now we're looking at it this way. Can we ask it maybe who God is? Yeah, we can dive into that, can we? We can ask it, what's the purpose for the order of the world? Yeah, there's room to work in that space within Genesis 1. Can Genesis 1 help us understand the rest of Scripture? The rest of Scripture agrees. It talks about it quite a bit. And can we let science be science and let Genesis 1 be Genesis 1? Absolutely. And I believe within that understanding that we can find that space where it's not confusing, it's not contradictory. It is what it is. It's God's story and his perfect place for us. So I want to invite you today. I'm going to hand the baton off to you. I've done a lot of talking. I'm going to hand it off to you all to investigate, ask the questions Genesis 1 and beyond is trying to say. What is Scripture trying to speak? I'm going to ask you to be Taurus in this ancient world, but be following the guide of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in there and understand what he's trying to speak. That he loves you very much. He cares for you, cares for all of this. And Genesis 1 tells us that we as humans have a vocation. And I know we've broken some things, but we still have that vocation to care for and love this world, the things around us. It matters. We cannot give up on it. We must care for it. It is in the message. It is in the word. And I encourage you today to do this investigation in community. We just had a whole series talking about what the church is, discipleship mission and community. We are not stopping just because we switched. That's who we are. So I want to encourage you, if you are not in a space to ask these card questions with someone else, find someone else, whether it's in some of the programs that we create or just asking the friend beside you. Hey, let's investigate. Let's walk in these hard questions, whether it's Genesis or another place. Do it together and just allow the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit in to be your guide. This is Genesis 1. I'm passing the baton to you. Investigate. Reach out, learn, and grow. Amen. I'm going to ask my, my friends uh, who are serving communion this morning to come up, and uh, Caitlin, if you want to come play, or Brian. But there, as every week as we come to this place where we honor, remember what Jesus did, as I mentioned earlier, God didn't get back up from rest till he needed to because he loves us so much. And when he got back up, the voice 
the word that created all things decided to come and live among us and to set things right. And each week we remember this by taking the bread and remembering his body being broken to set the stage back to a world where we can sit and love our creation and God can rest and be with us. This is part of the mission of this broken body and this blood that was shed so that we could join him, join God one day in a beautiful reset creation as we look to the end of the book telling us that one day everything will be set right again. And it's because of this that we can do that with him. So I want to invite you today if to a place of remembrance of what Jesus did and just an honoring and remembrance of what God created, how much God loves us so much to create us a beautiful place. And even though it's been broken and we don't see this and know this world, we know that this is God's intention and hopefully one day we can get to that place again. And I hope you find some hope in that. So I'm going to ask you to come down and our server's going to be right over here ready to hand you a piece of the bread. They're going to hand you a piece. This is, I think this is a cinnamon bread. This is, it smells good. Take the bread and dip it into the cup and come back around to your seat. Just take a prayer. And take a moment with yourself with God and know he loves you very much. Thank you all.